Children are dismissed to junior church at this time. And we're going to look at a few passages talking about Jesus will bring peace, mainly from Isaiah chapter 2. If you want to turn there in a Bible you brought with you or scroll with you, scroll there on a smartphone or something like that. Hebrews chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 2. I just read from Hebrews. Isaiah chapter 2. Sometimes I write the message and I work on my messages in advance. I work on the message I believe God uh, leaves me to declare in advance. And then even on Sunday mornings and sometimes Saturday night, it's like either my mind or the cereal I had at nighttime or uh, ice cream last night. But anyways, or something else is working on me or hopefully the Holy Spirit giving me different Ideas to share or to include, and it always takes special discernment to include those. A lot of times it's illustrations to add to the message. Today is Abigail's birthday. She's nine, so I'll give you a shameless plug there. So I was thinking last night and thought about when she was born. When Mercedes was born, it was not peaceful. Not because of anything she did. Well, she did typical babyhood things, right? And not because of Megan. It was just not peaceful. Mercedes is very strong-willed. She's a good worker, a good servant, um, very outspoken. And she made it known as soon as she was born that she had a good set of lungs. Both of our daughters were complimented in the hospital for their lungs, their ability to scream and cry. The nurse even said it's a good thing when they're crying because it means they're breathing. And uh, Mercedes even got kicked out of the hospital nursery because of her crying on her second night. And of course, we love and adore her in many ways. Abigail was born. She didn't cry much at all. She cried a little and showed that she's alive. And then they put her under the heat lamp and started doing their tests and things like that that they do. And she just laid there quite comfortably. And I thought, wow, this is, this is quite different. This is peaceful. Babies bring a lot of peace and a lot of joy. And both Mercedes and Abigail have done that for us. Mercedes now 11. And we were at her basketball game last night. And she's very active. And Abigail now turning nine today. And because of her ninth birthday today on Sunday, it's one of the difficult decisions that I had to make. But I've been at all the Advent dinners, and, and I appreciate all of you uh, who serve and help with that and will be in prayer for you, but I will not be at tonight's. Um, Mercedes and Abigail will be without me tomorrow night as I'm here, and Tuesday night as I'm here, and Wednesday night as I'm here, and they were without me Friday night as I was uh, here for a commitment, and today is her actual birthday, and so we're, we are going out to dinner, but you will all be in our thoughts and prayers with the Advent dinner, but family is my first calling and first ministry, and children can bring peace in life, right? But is it the ultimate peace? Abigail was very, Abby was very peaceful that few minutes after she was born. But the very next day, she was complimented on her lungs as well. That's a good thing. Children do that, right? We need to expect babies to be babies, toddlers to be toddlers, teenagers to be teenagers, adults to be adults. Sometimes they're not adults, but we need to expect them to be adults. Jesus brings ultimate peace. Jesus will bring ultimate peace. 
We live in a world that is yearning for peace, right? Sometimes we are anxious over things. We do not have peace because we do have unrealistic expectations. We're expecting toddlers to be adults or babies to be adults. But sometimes we're yearning for peace because God has put that in our hearts that we want peace and adults are not being adults and Christians are not being Christ-like. Some of that's normal. We're all in a process as we grow in Christ. But as Christians, a major fruit should be repentance of sin, that once something is exposed, we repent of that gossip or that slander or whatever happened or losing our temper at someone. Sometimes we're yearning for peace because we look at the world around us and we look at what's going on. It's a lot of tragedy, a lot of, a lot of hardship. And we're yearning for peace because God has implanted it on our hearts. We call it natural law. That this is not the way it's supposed to be. How are we going to get the ultimate peace? Will politics bring the ultimate peace? A few years ago, I listened to an audiobook titled Team of Rivals. And it's about Lincoln and his cabinet. President Lincoln and his cabinet. President Lincoln was a mastermind managing this cabinet, and his cabinet were all political rivals. His cabinet did not all agree with him politically. That's hence the title of the book, Team of Rivals. It's a phenomenal, great book, around 600, 700 pages. I have it if you want to borrow it. And at the very end, he writes about Lincoln's impact. I found a similar account in a New York Times article. The Times quotes uh, Tolstoy. Tolstoy said, Once while traveling in the, in the Caucasus, I happened to, happen to be the guest of a Caucasian chief of the, of the Circassians, who, living far away from civilized life in the mountains, had but a fragmentary and childish comprehension of the world and its history. The fingers of civilization and childish comprehension of the world and its history, he didn't have much understanding of that. Um... The fingers of civilization never reached him, nor his tribe. And all life beyond his native valleys was a dark mystery. Being a Muslim, he was naturally opposed to all ideas of progress and education. I was received with the usual oriental hospitality. And after our meal was asked, I was asked by my host to tell him something of my life. Yielding to his request, I began to tell him of my profession of the development of our industries and inventions and of the schools. He listened to everything with indifference, but when I began to tell about the great statesmen and the great generals of the world, he seemed at once to become very much interested. The conversation continued. Descriptions of the Tsar, descriptions of Napoleon, descriptions of Frederick the Great, but the Circassian chief was clearly unhappy. Something was missing. He writes, quoting him, You have not told us a syllable about the greatest general and greatest ruler of the world. We want to know something about him. He was a hero. He spoke with the voice of thunder. He laughed like the sunrise, and his deeds were strong as the rock and as sweet as the fragrance of roses. The angels appeared to his mother and predicted that the sons, whom, the son whom she would conceive would become the greatest stars had ever seen. 
He was so great that he even forgave the crimes of his greatest enemies and shook brotherly hands with those who had plotted against his life. His name was Lincoln. And the country in which he lived is called America, which is so far away that if a youth should journey to reach it, he would be an old man when he arrived. Tell us of that man. Now, it does seem he's conflating a little bit of Christianity with Lincoln. But as I continue, it does show Lincoln's impact. This New York Times article continues. Remember who is telling the story. Not some run-of-the-mill humdrum storyteller, but the supreme master of Russian literature. Indeed, the Circassian chief, as quoted by Stackelberg, sounds more like Tolstoy than how I imagine a Circassian chief might sound. Regardless, Leo Tolstoy told him everything he knew about Lincoln. He told him everything he knew about Lincoln. But the Circassian chief was not satisfied. He wanted something more. The story tells us that mere words are often not enough. He needed a photograph. I could hardly forget the great enthusiasm which they expressed in their wild thanks. This is Tolstoy sharing this. The enthusiasm they expressed in their wild thanks and desire to get a picture of the great American hero. I said I probably, I probably could secure one picture from my friend in the nearest town. And this seemed to give them great pleasure. One of the riders agreed to accompany me to the town and get the promised picture, which I was now bound to secure at any price. I was successful in getting a large photograph from my friend, and I handed it to the man, to the Circassian chief. I handed that photograph to the Circassian chief with my greetings to his associates. It was interesting to witness the gravity of his face and the trembling of his hands when he received my present. He gazed for several minutes silently, like one in a reverent prayer. His eyes filled with tears. He was deeply touched, and I asked him why he became so sad, so sad looking at this photograph of Lincoln. After pondering my question for a moment, he replied, I am sad because I feel sorry that he had to die by the hand of a villain. Don't you find, judging from his picture, that his eyes are full of tears, that his lips are sad with a, a secret sorrow. President Lincoln, his impact. He did a lot of good, and I believe in American history he was providential, part of God's providential plan during that time. I think the same of U.S. Grant and many other great leaders in our past. President Lincoln brought peace in a difficult time in America. But did he bring real peace? Will politics bring about peace? Will our next president bring peace? Who is the hope of the world? Who is the ultimate hope of the world? We're in an Advent series, which I've titled Jesus, the Hope of the World. So today's theme is Jesus will bring ultimate peace. Only Jesus will bring ultimate peace. Only Jesus brings ultimate peace. We can idolize many other things thinking this is the answer. But the only ultimate answer for our life now and our life eternally is Jesus. So today I want to focus on Jesus bringing peace. My theme is Jesus was prophesied as the hope of the world. Who will bring peace? Jesus was prophesied in the Old Testament as the hope of the world. Who will bring peace? Who will bring ultimate peace? Forever peace. Eternal peace.
Now, he does give us peace in our hearts now. As Christians, he can give us peace up past understanding. We still have the struggle between the worries and the fears of this life and leaning on the everlasting arms, leaning on the Holy Spirit. And it's still a struggle because we still live in a depraved, fallen world. Oh, but someday that's going to be taken care of. In fact, right after Christmas, I'm going to begin a sermon series on heaven, focusing on heaven, when all that will be taken care of. Jesus brings forever peace. We're going to move to the Advent candle. I'm going to invite Jody up. She's going to light the, ad, the second candle today. The Advent wreath is a tradition of generations that represents the longing for the coming of Jesus, our Savior. A candle on the wreath is lit each Sunday, and you can go ahead and write it, light it now if you want, Jody. A candle on the wreath is lit each Sunday to signify the promise of the arrival of Christ. The arrival of Christ, the light of the world. So on this second Sunday in Advent, thank you so much. On this second Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of peace. We live in times of challenge, of fear, of darkness. The world weighs heavy, and there seems to be no hope of peace. But we are promised peace. Jesus, our light of the world, comes into our hearts now. If we accept him in his saving grace, as we struggle through the trials of our, of our life in this world, we know the peace that passes understanding is our hope for the future. In Christ, there is hope and peace. So we have the second candle lit now. Thank you so much, Jody, for volunteering after I asked her uh, to light the candle. She probably would have volunteered if she knew I was asking for volunteers. I want to read Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's read that passage. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is a prophetic passage that has not been completely fulfilled yet. It's talking about peace in the future. Beating, plow, beating, beating spears into plows because you don't need the spear anymore. It's talking about a future time when Jesus will bring peace, forever peace, eternal peace. This passage was written some 700 years before Christ. By the way, you can find almost the exact same prophecy in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And that's because it's the same Holy Spirit inspiring both prophets. I want to mainly focus on verse 4. Verse 4 says, he, shall, he is talking about the Messiah, Jesus. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. I stand here and say that Jesus is the hope of the world. And you may be wondering, how is he the hope of the world? You may be wondering, I don't see peace yet. I don't see it. And I have two thoughts there. One is, we're waiting on the millennial reign. 
I'm going to come back to that in a minute. We're waiting on the new heaven and new earth. And he's waiting for us to share the gospel with more people. He's waiting for us to send out more missionaries, for us to spread the gospel. That's what he's waiting on. Second Peter 3, 9 says that. I'll read that in a minute. Another is Christianity has impacted the world way, way more than we know. There's a historian, Glenn Sunshine. He teaches at university. He's a Christian historian. He also writes with the Colson Center for Biblical Worldview. And he, and, and he has shared about the amazing impact of Christianity. There's another one, and I'm trying to think of his name right now. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I could look it up and give it to you later. Another historian who's not a Christian. He's actually an agnostic. He's looked at Christianity. He wants to be a Christian, but he, he just doesn't feel convicted that way, or he hasn't responded and received Christ yet. Yet... He's written about how Christianity reshaped the West. One of the things he shares is he was going to speak in an area eight or ten years ago, an area that the Taliban had come in, and they had brutalized the people, raped the women, enslaved others, the children. I mean, and just horrible things. And, and obviously he's thinking about how terrible that is, how horrible that is. He's, he's revolted by it. Then he thought, why? Why does that bother him? It's because the Christian worldview has swept through the Western Hemisphere and changed our thinking about those things. Prior to Christianity, that was normal. Rome came in and conquered an area. That's what they did. You go back in the Old Testament times and and, and, and the wars of that time period, which include child sacrifice and enslavement and many things, why do we think differently? Why do even non-Christians, even atheists, think differently about those things? Because of Christianity. Jesus has made changes now, but the ultimate change is coming eternally. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Jesus wants more people to be saved. He wants us. He, he, he doesn't need us, but he wants us to share the gospel with other people. Sometimes we think sharing the gospel means starting with some random question. If you died tonight, stood before God, and he said, why should, I, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And, there's nothing wrong with that. But I like to think, have spiritual conversations with people. And see where the Holy Spirit leads in that conversation. In this passage here, Isaiah is writing about a future day. Many think this is the millennial reign, which you can read about in Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 through 7. And this could be talk about, talked about another point. Either way... It says that the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest mountain. In that day and age, it was a big deal for the mountain to be the highest. Even, even in extra-biblical literature, the Weiner Chronicle and, and the Marduk Prophecy and extra-biblical literature, they would write about their cities being the highest mountain, the highest of the cities. That imagery would be familiar to the people. The passage says that everyone will come to Jerusalem. God will teach the law of the Lord will go out. Then we get to verse 4. He will judge. He will settle disputes. They will beat their swords into plowshares. This means that instead of swords, you'll need a plow. You won't need to prepare for battle or defense. Beat their spears into pruning hooks. Instead of spears for defense, 
You won't need that. Instead of spears for defense, you'll need a farm. Jesus, the hope of the world, will bring peace. Supply. Who is your hope? In your mind, in your thinking, if you're talking to your children or grandchildren later, maybe some random person at Panera Bread asked you, where is their hope? What would you say? Well, if we get this, Jesus, would you say Jesus and do you mean that? Do you say it like you mean it? Or in the back of your mind, are you thinking, oh, but if, if, if my football team wins today, if my baseball team, or, or if this politician gets elected, those can all be good things, nothing wrong with that, but that's not our ultimate hope. Will a politician bring peace? No, the baby in Bethlehem will bring peace. Will a business leader bring peace? No, only Jesus, the Messiah, who did not have a home or business. What if we could get the right economy? Will that bring peace? No. Jesus' economic policies were about self-sacrifice and giving, and he will bring peace. Only Jesus. Only Jesus will bring that ultimate peace. Jesus is the hope of the world. No, we have temporary hopes, don't we? Like how sweet to hold a newborn baby, knowing this life is worth the living because he lives. We have temporary hopes that God gives us, and those are really, really good things. But they're only hopes because of Jesus. Jesus is our ultimate hope. Do you treasure Jesus? Do you look forward to heaven because of all the five people you're going to meet in heaven and all those people are, and that's good. But you mostly look forward to heaven because we're going to be with Jesus. Do you treasure your life with Jesus right now? Or is it a get out of hell free card? Many times we think of it that way. Many times even evangelists have pitched it that way. I would encourage you to focus on heaven definitely. But focus on Jesus in your life now. Jesus gives us abundant life, a fuller life, complete life. But it only comes when he is the center of our life. And we are organizing our affairs around him. When we think about different decisions we make, we think, what would Jesus have me do? When we think about our day, we think about Jesus throughout the day. And we think of what the Christian worldview, the worldview that comes from the Bible. We get our values from the Bible. And we think about, every time we think about what's wrong with the world, we have to chase it back to the Bible and say, why is that wrong? Why is what's going on going on? We go back to the Bible. We think about things. We think about our life with Jesus, and we live connected to him, and we stay in tune with him from our tag times, our daily time alone with God. A chapter a day keeps the pastor away. I know you've heard it before. No Bible, no breakfast. Get up in the morning, and you read the scriptures before anything else. If you're not reading them in the morning, read them in the evening. Read them at lunchtime. Pick a verse and meditate on it throughout the day. Spend time with the Lord in his prayer. Those are the individual spiritual disciplines, and that's how you stay in tune with Jesus. And then the corporate spiritual disciplines, a small group, 
Sunday school class, a prayer group, accountability partners, corporate worship like this. That's how we become like Jesus. That's how we stay united to him. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit inside us as we pray. He speaks to us through the body of Christ. And he can give us peace beyond understanding, as Philippians 4, 7 says. We won't have that if we're not spending time with him. We don't have that if we're just using Christ for get-out-of-hell-free card. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the peace that's prophesied in this passage, that someday you're going to bring perfect peace, perfect peace. Someday you are literally going to reign and you're going to bring complete peace. You will, you will make everything right. You will make everything new. And I pray we look forward to that. I thank you, Lord God, that even right now, we can have peace in our hearts through the Holy Spirit within us. And I pray, Lord God, that we are treasuring you in our life and we are growing in the grace and knowledge of you, our Lord and Savior. To you be the glory forever and ever. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. God has laid anything in your heart. As I always say, we have people who will be up here to pray with you and you're welcome to come forward. You're encouraged to come forward. As a body of Christ, we wanna pray for one another and support one another. Um, after the closing song and um, one of the worship team closes in prayer, we'll have a brief, just a couple minutes break for those that have to leave to exit and then we'll reconvene for the congregational meeting.